Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Radiohead. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today I'm joined by... Executive Editor Josh Modell. And we have a very cool show for you today. This is for the electronic music heads. The one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Vince Clark, in conversation with Paul and Phil Hartnell of Orbital. I think it's fair to say that this week we are kicking it old school. (laughs) Well, Josh, when I heard that Orbital were touring the States after way, way, way the fuck too long, and I heard that they were getting lunch with Vince before their show Brooklyn Steel here in town... I knew that we needed to get a mic in front of these guys. Do you have spies that just tell you who are having lunch around New York so you can <laughs> schedule uh, these things? That's, that's an amazing network. Just think of me as the Indie Rock page six, Josh. <laughs> I was kind of thinking you're more like Varys from Game of Thrones that you have <laughs> little, little spiders around telling you like what indie rockers and electronic musicians are in town. Oh, man. Well, Josh, I am excited to say that this is Vince's three-peat appearance. This is his hat trick on the podcast. He first joined us with Jean-Michel Jarre, another electronic music legend, and then with Reed Hayes as they gave a lesson to Blood Orange and a couple of the ladies from Savages on the Buchla synthesizer. So I say that to set up what's coming. This is going to be some deep synthesizer talk. Yeah, there are some name drops here that you're not going to believe, and they're not people. They're all gear. (laughs) Totally. Now, Vince is, of course, really and truly a legend of synth pop. He founded Depeche Mode. He left Depeche Mode and formed Yaz, a.k.a. Yazoo, if you're English, with Alison Moyet. Then he left and formed Erasure with Andy Bell. Yeah, and he and Andy have made, I don't even know how, I'm sure Wikipedia could tell you, but it's a lot of records and a ton of hits. I actually caught Erasure for the first time live this year, Josh. They did a stand here in New York at the end of their two-year tour. And it was just insane hearing hit after hit after hit. I, I just couldn't believe how many massive singles had come out of one group. Now, the guys are still at it. In 2017, they dropped the record World Be Gone. Last year, they released World Beyond. That was a classical reworking of World Be Gone, as well as World Be Live, which is cuts from the album and erasure classics pulled from across the decades on a fantastic live record. One song that appeared on all three of those formats is Love You to the Sky. Let's play the version from World Be Gone. Josh, within 10 seconds of any Erasure song, you know a band you're listening to. Paired with Vince for today's conversation, the two brothers that form Orbital, a legendary name in UK rave. Yeah, Orbital's been around and making amazing music since 1989 when they recorded a track called Chime at their parents' house on their dad's cassette player and kind of became a leading light in scenes that didn't even really have names at the time, from high energy to electro to rave. And they became known as these guys that would play raves uh, in their little headlight headsets, which unfortunately they've ditched at this point. 
they've broken up on and off over 30 years, but they're responsible for some incredible songs. And even people that aren't necessarily invested in electronic music have probably heard their tracks somewhere. At the very least, a song called Halcyon, aka Halcyon and on and on, that was on the soundtrack to Mean Girls, Hackers. It's been in video games. It's one of those electronic songs where when you hear it, you're like, oh, that song. The latest Orbital album is called Monsters Exist, which dropped late last year. It's their ninth studio album in 30 years. So they've been around. The album is another classic in their catalog, containing a little bit of political themes along with some classic sounds and more updated electronic stuff. It's pretty amazing. Let's check out the song Tiny Foldable Cities from Monsters Exist. Josh, it was so cool to hear people who have been there, people who lived it, sharing their experience over the decades. And the guys really took in a lot. Their conversation goes all the way back to their childhoods and brings us through the UK scenes that they were immersed in through the 80s and into the 90s, all the way up to their most current tours and releases. It was really cool to hear about their writing and recording processes, especially Paul's amazing way of demoing beats. Oh, man. I mean, we've heard in past episodes really interesting approaches from People's Diverse's Clams Casino to Yoshimi from the Boredoms. I have never heard anything like the way Paul approaches demoing. I wonder what his dentist thinks. (laughs) We also get the guy's take on EDM fests. They talk about the differences in the US and UK scenes and between raves back then and kind of semi-raves happening now. (laughs) We hear the first record that each of them ever bought with their own money. And then the best gig that Phil never actually made it to. He was so close. So close. Should we roll the tape? Yeah, man, let's hear it. All right. Vince opens up and Paul jumps right in. Check it out. This is my opening question. What What the hell are you doing here? What the hell are we doing here? We are recolonizing the States for Orbital. We haven't been for a long time. And um, they've forgotten who we are. So we're coming out. Um, no, to, they haven't they, well, they, no, they I, haven't you know, forgotten. Here's hoping. Yeah. But um, we've got New York, um, Brooklyn Steel. We've got San Francisco and LA. So it's three, oh, three gigs. Nice. Um, yeah. Lots of press and that kind of thing, just to kind of reintroduce ourselves back to the States. Right. I love it over here, though. I do like I playing do. over here. It's really... When was the last time you 2012, played here? wasn't it? Well, we 20... didn't know that properly. 2012? Yeah, yeah, we did, we did Coachella. Those, uh... A couple of raves as well, didn't we? A couple of massive raves. Yeah, that one raves. in uh, Orange County, wasn't it? I can't, that was I quite funny, I can't, yeah. They were good, good fun. It was interesting to see a proper, full-on American when... EDM rave. Two huge sheds, 10,000 people each, with just a banging... EDM. It was quite, it was interesting. But it was funny because we were there all day because all our equipment and stuff, weren't we? It's like you could tell like the, the superstar DJs would just turn up sort of like half an hour before they're set. Yeah. And they go, like, during the whole day, there's a, there was like a top 10, wasn't there? Oh, well, they all playing the same records. They all played yeah. the same records. They didn't know really? the same guy. That They didn't know the guy who just played it that set before. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know. Not like the all, olden days. All sounds the used same, to hang anyway. out all day and, <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh, shit, they played my records. What am I going to play? It was like, yeah. You know, very noticeable. Yeah. yeah. But we did come and do uh, the Paul Oakenfold's thing in LA, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did that. A couple yeah, of years like ago. A, that, was, that was good that was fun. Year, the funny little it? televised <laughs> dance music awards thing. Right. Very, very odd. Um, good, But good fun. But really 
coordinated, wasn't it? To the yeah, to the second. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of funny. And you yeah, you, you were performing for that. Yeah, oh. yeah. It was, it was involved with Twitter or something, wasn't it? Twitter, <laughs> the internet, something to do with the yeah, internet. To do with the... <laughs> yeah. Well, what are you up to? Um, well, you know, we just finished touring. Oh yeah, of course, which I saw. Yeah, so we, we we were pretty much on tour for two years. Wow. Off and on, you know. So I'm glad that's over. Right. And now I'm just like, you know, twiddling my thumbs, really. I'm doing a few remixes for people. Nice. I've got like a little label, as you know. As I know, yeah. And um, so I'm. Uh, there's a, a new artist that um, I'm working with, again from the UK. So hopefully we'll be releasing his record at the beginning of the year. So how long have you lived over here? I've been here now for um, about 14 years, 15 oh, years. What, in Brooklyn? Well, we started off in Manhattan. Um, we are in uh, Tribeca. Oh, I love that. Which was idea. stupidly expensive. And then we moved to Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn, which was half the price, pretty much. Right. Then we moved to Maine. Right. Which was obviously a complete shock for my wife. Right. But I loved it, but then she wanted to come back to New York. So now we're back in, back in Brooklyn. Mm. Right. I was going to say, I think I probably quite like Maine. I quite like New England. It's, it's nice. It's beautiful. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the, the winters can be severe, but again, yeah. the winters in, in New York are horrible also. Yeah. yeah. Do you still have that space? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it still hasn't fallen down yet. Because you were, because uh, I mean, last time we spoke, you, you said that they were going to, the guy was going to take it back. It's always, always threat. threatening to do that. But, you know, it basically, I think, what with Brexit going on, you know, no, no one's developing anything. Everyone's just kind of sitting to wait and see what happens. So, last time he said something, I think he said we got it for about years, two, reprieve. three years. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and that was about a, up yeah, to yeah. a year ago. So, yeah. you know, it was still going strong. It's a great, still a great place. It's a, it's People a great keep space, coming yeah. around and changing. Still like nine studios there, though. It's great. Yeah, yeah I like the little community sort of vibe about. That's it. brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that, I, I was really, really seriously considering doing something similar here. You know, if I could yeah. find a space. Yeah. Because yeah. you realise, so you you know, you're, you're working at home, you're recording at home in your home studio, and then you get really lonely. Yeah. yeah. You know nice what I mean? bit, it's nice yeah. to have a little bit of banter. And, uh, so how does your, so got, you got your, your, your new album out now, right? Yeah. Yeah. How was that? How was recording that? How did it, how did it go? Was it fun? It was fun. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was good. great fun. It was good. It's, a lot of it was made up with uh, lots of stuff that Paul had been doing. Right. Well, I don't know where they, they came from. Oh, who like, knows where these things yeah, come they, from? They, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, you know, he's very prolific, actually, you know. And I'll come in and go, oh, no, 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 do that, do, do, do that ball, do this ball, do that right, ball. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then, you know, so, yeah, so we went through them, didn't we? You know, it was good to get an album out this year, uh, which is so how we put it all together, and it seemed to, it, it sort of, it sort of came together, didn't it? We got the Monsters Exist yeah. title, which uh, which was, a, you know, I just love that sort of, uh, and it just sets my imagination off. Right, right. You know, and so it was in, in sort of like hanging it on there. And it sort of seemed to slot into place, didn't it? Yeah. With the, with the theme, really. Yeah, that's no, a great ways, theme for certain ways. Current, yeah. current affairs in the world at the minute. How do you, so how do, you, do you, how do you knock a tune together then? Do you like, do you have a, like a melody idea and then, hmm. you know, build around it? Or, I... or is it a groove first? No, there, oh. there's no hard and fast rules. Because I, I do things like, I've got little apps on my phone where, where you know, like little drum machine apps and I'll do little rhythms or I click my teeth all the time to, to rhythms, to, to walking. And I sometimes find myself going, oh, that's a good rhythm. And what I do is I shove the corner of my iPhone in, into my mouth and record it. And oh. then, you can, then you can listen to that rhythm and, you know, translate that into... Um, into drum machines or whatever, or, or just sample it and, and do weird stuff with it in Ableton. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, I, I do things like that. Um, so that, but, but sometimes you just draw them into a track, don't you? So like Tiny Foldable Cities, for example, was oh, just yeah. something that came up. I was on the phone to someone and just playing some chords and I, when I got off the phone, I thought, oh, that's quite good. Record, turned the computer back on, recorded it in, recorded two or three lead lines over the top and thought, okay, turn the computer off, you know, that's it, remember that. And, um... So the writing doesn't always originate from rhythms, then. No, 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 and then because then no, I got no, yeah. one of my rhythms from the phone. I just thought, oh, I bet that'll go really well with that. Yeah, you know, and Phil came in and said, oh, yeah, I like that. And he said, what about a rhythm like this for the bass line? And just sort of hammered out something on a one note. And I kind of transposed it all to the song, and you know, it just went went like that, really. Uh, right. But but it, yeah, it can defend. It's like actually. some of it came from a, a TV show that I was doing and there's sort of offcuts that didn't end up on the telly where you've got literally just like, like a hip-hop drum beat and all these kind of huffing and puffing female vocals. Right. And then, you know, I got some chords that were originally like harpsichord and then turned them into big kind of, you know, Jupiter 8 kind of sounds and that kind of thing. And it just sort of develops bit by bit. It can come from any direction, really. Right. But it's one of those things, I think normally you know it's, there when you when I, for me when I start crying or stand up and have to walk out and make a cup of tea okay we get a bit of an emotional kind of oh, yeah something's working and I have to walk away again and come back and go right, and right, check yeah. to make sure that you know it's not crap yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so did you Vince did you used to have a like a studio it was like a spaceship mm. like a flying saucer <laughs> well it was more like a mosque actually was it it was a dome in Surrey in the UK and um, it was purpose built. All of the walls were filled with synthesizers, yeah. and they were all interconnected, which meant that basically you could take an LFO from a keyboard this end and yeah. feed it to a, a, a VCO that end. Right. What, through a big patch bay or something? Yeah, it was like, it was like a continual ring all the way around. Oh. But the, the, the big pain in the arse, I mean, I thought it was really smart and clever and funny and everything, but... The, the problems we had with soundproof, with making it sound. Oh, yeah. Because right. it was such it's, a yeah. weird sound without all of the... Um, we had to put lead up behind the walls. Whoa. Like big, these big lead panels that actually moved. And then on top, there was all of this intricate, you know, uh, sound... Not soundproofing, but sound absorption... Yeah, right. Absorption yeah. stuff, you know, just yeah, to make right. it sound normal. Right, and being round as well, I suppose. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you go into, like, a, if you go into a cathedral or something, yeah. like that, you know, that yeah. it's all around you. Yeah. Yeah, we odd. did a gig in a gas chamber once in Amsterdam, yeah. didn't we? It was like... Yeah, an old gas holder. Poor. It was like, that was tricky. That was. The only <laughs> people was... who got away with that, actually, I was always all impressed. Tekka. All Tekka yeah, really yeah. impressed me because they're, so, they're, they're so kind of experimental in their approach. They kind of said, oh, yeah, we've worked out what the slapback is. So if we do everything at 123 BPM, the slapback works like a really nice delay. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, bastards. Yeah, I know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was back in the day when you could, there was no Ableton, so you couldn't time stretch your, your song. So, if, you know, we, it's like, we can't do it. We've got breakbeats. It's like, Ugh. Right, right, right. Yeah, but they were like really happy and I wouldn't say smug, but they were really chuffed with themselves. So They're a lot more worked. minimal though at that time, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, but they were all drum machine and synth based, so it worked, worked a treat for them. Right, right. And how do you, when you're doing your live, I mean, when you're doing your live thing tonight, are you going to be, um, what you, did you bring all your gear with you? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But everything? Yeah, everything. That, well, well, not, not every, the whole uh, studio, but no, everything no, we, that we bring, well, you know, live. We've got it live. down got, to a uh, Peli case and stuff, so we can yeah. fly. We've got, we got the Jupiter sort of, 6, though, you know. Have you well, got that, the, the um, what's, it, what's the big analog, uh, ARP-like analog synthesizer? Uh, no, the Macbeth, we don't fly that because, uh, because yeah. we can't, it's too big. Um, although I want to get it put into a picture frame because most of it could is is actually just 
mounted to the front panel. So actually, it's a lot of dead space there. So I want to I want to try and see if I can get that put into some kind of wooden frame to bring that because I, I love bringing that live. It's brilliant. But we've got instead of that, we've got the Matrix Brute, which weirdly feels a similar. It's, it's sonically different, but it feels a similar space to how I used it because it's it's you know full of knobs. It's got it's very modulable and. It's quite aggressive as well, which is what the the Macbeth, it's what I used the Macbeth. For, oh, I see. Yeah, um, very aggressive things um, live. So the Matrix Brute covers that, but we have got like a Prophet Six, uh, you know, which is which is good. Base Station Two, Three Hundred Three, Peak. And you you running you running you're not running Logic, you're running Ableton. Ableton, yeah, 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 yeah in clip mode. So it's all improvised still, right. but with Malimas, you know, on iPads to trigger. The, the clip, so I don't have to look at the computer. So, and and you, you, you're, not using a, you're not using a sampler on it, are you? I mean, for vocals no, and stuff. No, no, all, no, all sampling duties do is Ableton. done in Ableton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what I've done to keep the, keep the retain the kind of character of stuff, songs, like old songs that were done on, on say, like an Emacs 2 or something like that, we've sampled the, instead of just taking the sample and putting it into Ableton, we've sampled a loop right. of the Emacs 2 so that it's still got that, that Emacs-y kind of character. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And have you tested all the stuff? Is it all...? Not yet. That's, 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 that's the Sartre right. That's the job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you've got to check it for Continental yeah, Drift get, and all that kind of you're thing. Getting, but, you'll get, yeah. You're popping a long time. I'm going to I'm gonna yeah. sound check for a change, yeah. Yeah, it's 110 volts here, just so you know. I know, yeah. Yeah, no, I've, <laughs> I, yeah. I've watched him plug a pair of clippers in to a hotel once. That was hilarious. With me? Yeah. Proper bloody sparks coming out the wall. He just went, yeah, I'm sure it's all right. Sproom! Got blown away from the wall. It's great. I remember that. Yeah. That over here, he had long it? hair for the rest of the tour. <laughs> yeah, it kept getting in my eyes. Yeah. So, Phil. Hello. Um, I love you, when, 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 I love yeah. you. I've been following you around all my life. Paul, Paul was telling me... Um, oh, shit. He, he was telling me, like, really nice things about you. But also... Was he? He, uh, he was saying that you were DJ, you've been DJing quite a bit. Yeah, I've been. De- yeah, I love a little bit of DJing. I mean, that's what got me going with just interesting in, in synths and you know, like hearing Cabaret Voltaire and all that. And also, but you got a lot of gay disco, high energy and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah, I you used were to go into to that, heaven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's just the sound. Oh, that was electric. brilliant, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I used to go to heaven on my own. You know, which is quite. Quite interesting. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that, how we started. I mean, that's how Erasure started. Yeah. We really wanted to be a high-energy band because all that mm. was really happening at exactly yeah. that point, like 1984, 85, yeah. 86, exactly. you know. Exactly, that's it, yeah. And we, 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 I mean, our first London show was in heaven. Was actually. it really? Yeah, I see. And yeah, who was the guy? There was a guy, uh, a producer um, guy, I think he died recently, but he's he the actual original track, High Energy, which was by... The woman Ooh. singer. Is it Bobby O, the producer? No, no, he was, he was, no. Um, anyway, this particular chap was um, uh, recording in uh, in the same studio as we were. Oh. And we would go and listen to the rhythms. <laughs> to, the, to the cowbell rhythms. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. And they oh, go, yeah, yeah we'll make a little recording on that, you know, outside the door and then we put it into our tracks. Brilliant. Nice. So that's um, that's how you yeah, did so high that, energy it, at first. Yeah, no, well, it, it was like a high energy, and then like electro was after that, wasn't it? it was, electro my, came uh, a little bit after, like, but of, it was that combination of the two. Well, we we used to love electro and love yeah. high energy, and there was never enough of either. Um, not the sort of underground stuff, anyway. And then when house music came, then we loved all the industrial stuff. And, yeah, you know, electro, bands like, like yourself, like yeah, when, when do we say industrial stuff? 
Like okay. Cabaret Voltaire, oh. no, uh, Seven Front Heads. Two Four Two, and uh, oh, yeah. I, I send a new bar. Yeah, as well. but all yeah. those yeah. kind of like... bands like Hula. A shack, yeah. that kind of yeah. Sheffield funk, industrial funk kind of stuff. It was hula, that, yeah, with a little bit of art schooly sort of yeah. crossover and sort of a yeah. bit, bit moody. Right, and yeah, sort yeah. of a bit um, 80s, you know. In I the, mean, I love that time. I mean, you yeah. know, for me, it was that was the most exciting... I'm, I'm older than you lot, you know, but for me, like 1980, 1981, 1982, those were the... You heard this music that you'd never heard, or these mm. sounds that you'd never heard before. That's exactly yeah. it. That's what got. I go, what the, f- what the hell made that? Yeah. And then that was like the attraction to the synth. I mean, I never really thought, you know, Paul had a, it was Paul's much more driven. He's much more like, you know, he can play a bit of guitars. You know, he's much more set in his uh, sights of, you know, a career sort of thing. Right. Like, like I just wanted to muck about and make noises and. Laziness, I suppose. Well done, you've achieved your aims. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pushing buttons and making you like to learn it. Yeah, I get a drum machine, course. And then that's how it all started. It's kind of interesting because, like in in the states, I mean, I, I do a radio show every every fortnight with right. a, an American, and you know, th- th- all that early electronic stuff they weren't they weren't aware of here. Yeah, you know what they consider like eighties music was really like Duran Duran, yeah, which was right, really yeah. just like a rock band with a synthesizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't a synthesizer music, or mo- or possibly the Cars. Yeah, right. Because yeah, they had yeah, the lead that. line, you know, going on yeah, and everything, right. you know. Yeah. And um, so when I play stuff from that era, you know, he's like amazed, right? Because they, they he just wasn't exposed to it back then. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, we, we came over, we did our first tour supporting the uh, Meat Beat Manifesto. Oh, really? And it was like, over here they used to call it in, industrial. Was it, it was industrial? Industri- they yeah, were an industrial band, They were an industrial band, weren't they? Yeah. Over here. I, yeah. I, I don't know what we called them, but I, I, I always kind of lumped them into left-field house music, in a weird, yeah. you know, because yeah. they, they were very dance, weren't they? Yeah, well, I... In England. Yeah, yeah. But they pretty like much they, started drum and bass, didn't they? And, and well, they jungle. The break, yeah, you know, like the, sampling Radio break Babylon. beats and things like That's that. That's the yeah, first yeah, time I'd ever heard anything like that. I, that would, yeah, knock my socks off, that did. How did we hook up with them? Uh, through the Shaman. The Conduit yeah, of the, the Shaman. Shaman, yeah, Tucked the Shaman. under their wing. In, were, in 1990, yeah. got us to our first gig in London. Really? Yeah, they yeah took and us then they just kept taking us around doing support slots for them. Yeah. And then they used to do massive events big warehouse kind of things in Scotland and that was where we bumped cool. into yeah. Meat Beat Manifesto and they, they kind of shoved us all into the same dressing room and we got on like a house on fire, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And then they took us to America. And but so they we didn't turn all up, these, they did they? They, they, just, no, they, they messed up their visa for, a few, for the first week. For about a week, week did they? Yeah. So we had to go around doing a... We played the, the limelight, didn't we? Twice yeah, in yeah. two nights in like a row. To people that come for tickets to meet Beat Manifesto, and then oh, we they were there. We were like, no, they weren't there. We go, well, you know, we've got these instead, and oh, everyone's going, we're really moody. And, oh dear, never heard of us. You know, it's sort of like, well, got to try and win them over. Yeah, but that's what's interesting around that time because you did get sort of uh, little pockets of ravers in in, but it was never national. You know, like the UK. It's a breeding ground for like sort of subculture because of the geographical size of it. And you know, yes. like something happens in Brighton, you hear about it in Scotland after a few days before the internet, do you know, what yes. I mean? or a trend or something, you know, and it seemed to, because it's one big small, well, one small, one small stage, it's like a village, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it it's like it that. spreads so through the village like wildfire. There's a lot of people, and, you, and they, it gets noticed because it's the UK as well. So, but over here, 
all these little pockets had never really joined no. each other. It was never a national thing. No. Until, like, you know, like the EDM thing really, like, took it. Well, that's right. I mean, there was way. never a rave scene here. No. No. I mean, there, 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 there wasn't even a, there wasn't not like a national, illegal rave. Yeah, it wasn't like a national no. rave. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It was so a, you'd it, fa- there were parties in sort of up in this northeast corner and along the west coast. And they, they did there have were definitely a warehouse sort of, party. You know, but more nightclubs, though, wasn't it, really? I mean, I remember, like, so I started doing a bit of DJing about four years ago. Right, OK. And um, I did a couple of shows in the States, but, like, in New York, there were, there were no techno clubs. Yeah, right. They, they would have a techno night. Yeah, right. Like, every two weeks right. or something like that. <laughs> and then there would be, like, a ladies' free night, you know, the after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <that> first free drink. <laughs> what sort of plus... Do you go out DJing now, then? No, I, I, you know what? I did it, and it was interesting, and I, and I kind of enjoyed it. But I, I've never drank so much Red Bull in my life, you know. Just to stay awake. Yeah. That's, I, I can't I do it. I can't my do liver that. can't handle it anymore, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no, too late I, for me I, nowadays. I, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy, it came through necessity at the beginning. When we first split up, the first... This is version three we're on now, all bit version three. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, I've got kids and all that. There wasn't really the, a lot of money around. Go, oh, gee, oh, you know, what am I going to do? And people go, wouldn't you go and DJ? Because I'm not a DJ. Right. And then, like, push came to shove, so I got myself a couple of... Uh, what are those 12, oh, I don't know what they're called, those the decks. Turntables. Yeah, the, yeah, that's it, the ones with the needles on, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. 12, te- 12 something or other. Yeah, yeah. And um, just practice and practice. And at that time, there was uh, like the, the train to break beat going on, Rennie Pilgrim, Plump right. DJs, that type of thing. I loved that. And then so there was lots of little underground breakbeat sort of clubs going around. I did that sort of circuit. It, it sort of helps keep that enthusiasm for me. Um, you know, like listening to other people's music is the best. Um, yes. So when you do it, when, when you do it practically, are you using vinyl? Or are you doing? No. Then I discovered Ableton after a while. After you know, after doing the breakbeat stuff for a long time with just vinyl, didn't get on with CDJs at all. Did not I like? No, I don't. That? I don't really like that. I, that. I quite like it, but you you end up putting just two CDs yeah. in, and and it's kind of not really vinyl, and it's not really messing no, around with no. Ableton. It's a weird one. So I, I, I found out about Ableton, then I looked into that, and then um, I got a, a breakout box, so, you know, a D2A yep. a converter, really nice uh, metric halo thing. I still used a DJ mixer as a, you know, to mix on. Are you beat, are you beat matching? Uh, yeah, you do the warp thing. They do the, where they do, no, I'm not beat matching with uh, Ableton. No, no. you don't have to. No, 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 it does you it all do, for you. Yeah, Lovely. you have to do a yeah. little bit of homework first to make sure that you, you know that everything is in place because it's not that great. But once that's done, I always found that a bit boring anyway. You know, like just, yeah. uh, just do oh Jesus, like, vibe killer having to beat match. It's much more fun when you don't have to think about that. You can I just know. think about the music. That's it. You can do other. Yeah, you can like think about other creative things. Yeah, I mean, know, one, of the, one of the one of the I did this DJ set and there was a um, a DJ before me. And I had my setup, you know, and I was beat matching and all the rest of it. And she had two record decks, literally two record tables. And she put one record on, that ended, and then she put the next record on, and that ended. Then she would just go like that. And I'm thinking, that's the way to that's the way to go. Because at the end of the day, people don't need to necessarily, I think, don't necessarily need to be dancing for twelve hours. They mm. go, Oh, I know that song. I'm gonna go have a little dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a the, the thing is, mostly when the a lot of dance tunes, they they do like about a minute and a half of the drum intro, so you can mix it, and then it's like a minute and a half uh, drum outro sort of thing, so that you know easier to mix or you know not give you too many 
complication. Take well, the that's what they up. said about Chime, wasn't it? That was the lucky thing about Chime. We, it wasn't done on purpose, but apparently it was a really easy track to mix. Right. Because it, like it didn't house. have any bass line. <laughs> It, and it was just all hanging on one note. It was a rhythm, but it was quite forgiving. So if you weren't quite matched, it would still sound all right. And you could, you could, it gave you, the, it gave you the chance for you to go. I'll just take the other track out, and then you get a nice little breakdown. So it was, yeah. yeah, yeah it starts DJs with a ding, liked ding, it. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 ding. Thanks to all those bad mixing amateur DJs, the chime became a hit. You know? There you go. <laughs> Didn't notice. <laughs> that was just released on cassette, wasn't it? it Originally, no, it was recorded on cassette. And then, um, then Jazzy M, he, he made me record it onto a metal. I did it on a normal cassette. Then he said, oh, do it on a metal cassette. We've got to make it look what's posh. A, what's a metal cassette? A metal cassette, you know, the most expensive cassettes <laughs> you could buy at the time. £3.50, Seven Oaks Hi-Fi. It was yeah. the most expensive track I'd ever recorded at the time. He I thought it. this better be worth He's it. Like, yeah. You know? like, and, um, and then Jazzy M, when he wanted to play it to Pete Tong, he, he recorded it from that onto a dat just to make us look professional. What well, well, Pete Tong did? <laughs> no, Jazzy Ed oh, did. He put it onto a dad to give to Pete Tong. You know, ridiculous behaviour. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That must have been reissued many times, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it has been reissued. I've really? Done, uh, no, it's yeah. vinyl. I mean, it's no, L- vinyl. no, London Records um, have kind of sold themselves so many times over the years. Um, it's now in the hands of Because, who are definitely, they're kind of quite proactive going around sort of reissuing lots of their back catalogue. They haven't got round to us yet, so I don't know if, they, if they're going to or not. But um, Oh, it'll happen, mate. Yeah, yeah. You can guarantee it. Well, there it. you go, you know. But so far, Chime, if you want it on vinyl, it's only the first ever issue, either the, the 3,000 white labels or the original sort of um, FFRR. That's it. Wow. Vinyl is coming back now, though, isn't it? Like, quite well, they say that is, but, you know... It's coming back at you like a steam train is, in a yeah. country village. Yeah, yeah. In, in a Kent. slow fashion. <laughs> First gear. Yeah. Nice for enthusiasts, but it ain't going to earn anyone what? any money. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. In Asda, yeah. in Asda they got vinyl. I know, Asda, they? I know. Yeah, they got, an Asda, they got a, yeah. a, a rack of in a vinyl. So what, they, yeah. what, what, what kind of things are they favouring uh, in they, Asda? They, they favour all the classic stuff. So they do like really like 14 ounce or 14-pound records. Yeah. So all the pink, there's like Dark Side of the Moon, all, okay. of like those, all those classic rock albums. Yeah. They're all being re-released on like... Is it 14 ounce final? I yeah, don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's very heavy, whatever it is. What's that? Yeah, nice. So yeah. Oh, people approve. will pay like 40, 50, yeah. $50 or $60 yeah. for, a, for a vinyl now, you know. When, back in the day, when I was like, we're a lad, it was like 10 quid. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first started buying albums, they were three ninety nine. Yeah, we're going back. Oh, you know, when I was a whipping. I can remember. Chris Packets, two pounds, two and a half p. Who remembers the half penny? (laughs) Well, the first single I bought was forty nine pence, and I got her a discount because my sister used to work at Boots, the chemist. Nice, and they had a record division. Yeah, I know that's weird, isn't it nowadays? But yeah, I remember. I used to buy a lot of records from Boots. Yeah, forty nine pence. It was this town ain't big enough for the both of us. By Sparks, nice classic. I think mine was fifty p. My first one, Tears of a Clown by the Beat. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 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 What was yours? What, my first record? Yes. Uh, I think it was um, the Jackson 5 Greatest Hits, because I asked for it for my birthday. Oh, if we're going doing that, then it was Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney or Wings. What do you mean you were going to do that? That I was five. Well, go back to what you asked for. I I actually bought, (laughs) I went in the shop and bought Tears of a Clown with my own money. No, no, I asked for uh, Greatest Hits and a lot of uh, Ray and Mick and Mm. that lot, and they got me Ben. 
You used to love that, that album. No, though. I know, but I didn't. Even, yeah, had a but rat I didn't on like, the cover. What's not to love? <laughs> I know. I couldn't see the movie or anything. I didn't know where it was. Or you know, I wanted the great city tonight. But I, you know, I learnt to uh, hide my disappointment and say, "Okay, oh, thanks." Brilliant. A and skill then, that's yeah. become useful many times. It has. Over it has. <laughs> so, what was the first single that you bought? Jesus. I'm trying to I think, think if I can remember been, uh, what your first single was. Two Little Boys or something like that. Ouch. I don't know. Did <laughs> I say that out loud? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, my God. I know I wanted... I know I saw um, I saw a clip of uh, Cabaret, uh, Liza Minnelli, singing uh, Money, 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 Money. Made my grand go down and ask for it, but it was like only on album. Right. She, she couldn't stretch that far. <laughs> do, you re- like, do you remember those... Um, cheap, Cheap. What? That was for one of your was first it? ones. Was it? The, the original oh. Birdie song. Yes. With Who Needs Money on the B-side. Yeah. We used to love running around to that. Yeah, no, we did. Mental yeah. track. Yeah. Do you remember those, um, those awful, they're awful, but they're quite kind of funny now, those Top of the Pops records? Yeah, yeah. These were records that had 15 tracks on them, but they were covers. Yeah. And when you're, I, I remember buying those and I'm thinking, they don't sound the same as yeah. they did on the t- They don't sound exactly the same as they should. But yeah. they were really cheap and they were really quiet. Because yeah, they, yeah. They, they crammed on so many tracks onto the, onto the vinyl. And it was like just a complete rip-off, <laughs> really, you know. And then the first album I bought was um, Genesis. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Trick of the Tail. Oh, is that a good one? I don't know. Oh man, yeah, that yeah. I, the I trick would, of the tale, Peter Gabriel, out. Genesis, isn't it? That no, one? no, it was the the first album that um, Phil started oh, singing. Oh, okay, yeah. and I bought a, a stereo system, a sharp stereo system, so a record player and two speakers, and in, it was in white. Nice. And oh. I just listened to that album. I put the two speakers by my head and just yeah. listened to that for, for, for days. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Compared to the top of the pops records, mm. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah well, I, I remember uh, our elder brother. We don't talk about him much, Gary, <laughs> and the he, surgeon. He, yeah, Doctor Gary uh, Hartnell, B A M D something uh, yeah, something. He's, uh, he's, not quite over. Yeah, he's brilliant though. Actually, you know, coming from our family, he's ended up going to Cambridge University. Then um, first person from our village to go to Cambridge. Yes, yeah, it was. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it must be. If you've been to my village, you'd know that it's probably right. <laughs> So we used to go to Hammersmith Odeon and go and see lots of bands up there and I used to go up there with him and he, he took me to see Genesis, Trick of the Tail tour. And oh, really? I saw that, it fucking blew my mind. Yeah. Really did. I, oh my God, it was like fantastic. But also it's that time in, yeah. your, in your life when you're like, suddenly, you suddenly, suddenly music is like, yeah. not just something you listen to, it's something that's the most important thing. It yeah. becomes the most important thing in your life. Yeah, you know? but they, and also the arrangements are so not traditional sort of songs really no. in a way, were they? And they're all like, which is like craft work, that was another one, that blew my mind, uh, Autobahn, because it was like, oh my God, and that was my older brother's, uh, I think it was about 10. And it was like, oh my word, it's like this whole record, the concept, about a motorway, it's probably, it was good that it was called Autobahn, I think it was called Motorway, I wouldn't have taken much notice, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Autobahn, you know, it sound the same. But it's like, the, you know, the idea of the concept and, like the, and the, a track just not like going in any yeah. uh, uh, traditional format of a yeah. pop song or a song with lyrics or anything that was... That and Tubular Bells. I used to love Tubular, Tubular Bells. Oh, that's oh, well. my mind. Yeah. I still love that. Actually. I still, I still, yeah. It's a great album. I know, it really is. It, yeah, it's, Slightly it, yeah. weird bit on the B-side, but even, you know, the sort of weird caveman grunting bit. So I can never <laughs> quite get my head around that, but I do like it, you know. Yeah. Omidorn as well. Omidorn, yeah, I, I like Omidorn. Yeah. Didn't you do, didn't you meet up with him or something? I did. 
Yeah. I did go to meet yeah, Mike yeah. Oldfield in Ibiza and get shown around his new palatial yeah. kind yeah. of Jerry Jerry Anderson sort of Thunderbird's house. That was yeah. pretty special. He, Which he then sold to Noel Gallagher, apparently. Oh, there you go. Did he? Yeah. Wasn't that special, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Tubular Bells um, sort of like the beginning of uh, the, the Virgin, or it helped? No, it was, the, it, was the, it was the record that, that set it's Virgin helped. up, yeah. Yeah, and then he that. then they then they dropped him, and he was like super, super, super pissed off, apparently. Whatever the word is, you know, so I hear. Well, I can again. imagine that. But then he got, you know, it was it was the Exorcist that really threw that track into the into yeah. the because it was I don't know it wasn't doing I don't know if it was doing that well until till it became the theme to the Exorcist then it went absolutely astronomical didn't it yeah. but I mean that's you know the story of of that there's a brilliant documentary of him talking about how he made that album and it's such a brilliant work of art you know using offcuts of bits of tape from you know because he was he was a tape op in a studio. And so when people would finish their session, if there was like a couple of minutes at the end, he'd cut the tape and record something on it and add that onto his oh, really? master tape, which is why it's all these little chunks that right. flow together because they were all kind of recorded in little dribs and drabs oh. and put together like that. I, I think that's the case. And then he sort of shows you him playing the bass at the end through the, the big tubular bells bit. And it's just like, I said, yeah, I had to keep this up for like seven or nine minutes. <laughs> My fingers are hurting now already. I was just after 30 seconds. And it's just like, he's such like an incredible virtuoso musician. He's, he's, he's mental. I saw one documentary where he, he basically played everything. Yeah. Is that the same documentary? Yeah, yeah, he de- yeah, he, yeah. that's what he did. Apart yeah. from the, you know, the sort of vocal, the choir kind of bits. Uh, a couple of instruments he didn't do, but... But you know the bit where he goes... Um, Wait, is that all? Oh, that's is that Omidorn? Is that tubular, where he introduces the instrument? Yes, that's, that's, no, that's tubular that's bells. Tubular that's bells, yeah. from I, I was never, Bonzo I, was, I, I was never really a fan of that. Oh, I love that. No, I didn't. It's I didn't just that it bit. Much. Two slightly no. distorted no, guitars. No, I don't like it's that just like it my head used to zone. try and work out what. It took me out of the zone. Can I hear two slightly distorted guitars in that? It took me out of the zone. It took me out the. I know. It put me into it. It was kind of like it was kind of like a lesson in in recording studio technique. That's what I mean. It's not like. When um, myself and Andy used to do um, uh, very early shows, we had one track with an extended middle eight section, and Andy used to introduce the instruments that were being triggered. So, <laughs> so it would be like all behind, expander, and then the sequencer would play this or Juno 106, and then the Juno 106 would play. Nice. Yeah. It's all about the comedy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know. He should have he should have had two two slightly distorted Oscars or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Detuned uh, yeah. oscillators. Now it's interesting because going back to Gary taking you to gigs because that tradition carried on. He used to take me to gigs yeah. when I was about twelve. He took me to my first gig, which was Split Ends, which was brilliant actually. Um, and then we had tickets to go and see Craftwork doing the Computer World Tour. And that was one of my first albums. Gary bought, what do you call it, um, Autobahn. You had the Man Machine and um, Trans Europe Express. And I bought Computer... I was waiting for one of them to buy Computer World. They didn't, so I had to buy it. And um, <laughs> It's a shame we didn't have another brother who could just taken over. <laughs> yeah, you know. But um, we had tickets for it. And then we couldn't go in the end because they moved the date and he was on holiday. My mum wouldn't let me go on my own. And my mum didn't... Come and did. I don't know why my mum or dad didn't yeah, come no, to the gig. Work, actually, yeah. we worked that out the other day. Yeah, so why didn't one of them come in and see craft work? Yeah, People didn't do that then. 
They would do it now. Probably. In this post-rave generation. We'd all do that, wouldn't yeah. we? Well, we get I've, lots I've of... been to see bands with my kids, you know. Yeah, we get loads of people coming and bring their kids, don't they? for Christ's sake. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but... <laughs> Jesus. Why did you just say that it was sold out? <laughs> That's right, I'm not cruel. But um, it's weird, though, because I, I remember sitting at home really sulking the day that the gig was on when I didn't see the Computer World tour. But you know what? It's kind of built in my head into such a... An, it's the best gig I never went to. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, if I'd have been there, it could never live up to this impression that I've got of how... Flipping fantastic that gig was. I quite like not seeing it. There's a couple of gigs like that when we missed the Severed Heads as well. Mm. We went up to see the Severed Heads and Hula, and I was so excited because the Severed Heads were one of my favourite electronic bands. And we got we're to the bar. The... We got to the bar at the ICA, both <laughs> such idiots, and we were sat in the in the bar at the ICA buying drinks and chatting to Phil's kind of lovely London friends. And I'm going, wow, look at that. They've got the Severed Heads on the telly in here. It's brilliant. <laughs> and so yeah, on the speakers, that. It's really great. They're playing the Severed Heads yeah. in here before they come on. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a good idea. And then it finished, you know, in the, in the room. And I remember saying, well, should we go in and see them then? So yeah. there's all the people are coming out. And <laughs> someone said, okay. no, 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 they, that was, they were on. So, oh, <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah, I know, I know. We're making up for that, though, because we're playing with them yeah. in Adelaide this in, is a, in a this couple is of a, months' yeah. time. We're actually doing yeah. a gig with the Seven Heads. This is a, yeah. I can't believe that's it. That's, a, that's, a, that's oh, yeah, that's a dream come true. Well, it is, it is a Unless I fall asleep in the hotel and miss it. <laughs> <laughs> So is that festivals you're doing in Australia? That, uh, no, so, they're... Mixtures. There's, yeah, well, they ones, I think, like a sort of dance night, a bit of a rave. Yeah. Then a few of our own gigs. I think the thing with the Severed Heads is kind of a fringe it's thing a fringe on a, thing. On a yeah, festival. Yeah. And the Perth one is a festival. And the two New Zealand ones are festivals. Yeah, yeah, they are. That, that'd be good. It's yeah, great catching up a, again. A, it's, been, it's been a, it's a real pleasure. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm happy to see two like-minded, electronic musician yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. It's brilliant, I know, yeah, we're still doing it at the same time. I know, you know, it's great, isn't it? And with this old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. It's brilliant. Fantastic. Vince Clark, Phil Hartnell, Paul Hartnell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's talk, definitely make sure to check out Vince's other episodes with us, as well as his radio show that he mentioned earlier. That's called The Synthesizer Show, and it's co-hosted by Vince and Reed Hayes of Reed and Caroline. And of course, you can check out The Talk House on your various social platforms, including Facebook, Instagram. What's another social platform? <laughs> Twitter. Twitter's the third one. And Josh, I've got to say, there are some great shots on those socials of the guys at Hook and Fate Studios here in Brooklyn. They're pretty badass-looking motherfuckers, I'll be honest. This is like some Guy Ritchie shit. <laughs> <laughs> The Talkhouse podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range, and today's episode was engineered by Mark Yoshizumi. Listeners, one very cool piece of news. The Talkhouse podcast is now available on Spotify. As you're streaming the new Orbital record, as you're streaming the new Erasure record, you can take a little pause between to listen to this conversation on Spotify. Well, if you're here, you've already listened to it. Anyway, you get the point. We picked 16 of our favorite past episodes and have just started putting every new weekly episode up on Spotify. So make sure to follow us there for all the new stuff coming out, including next week's double episode. We have Proto Martyr in conversation with Preoccupations and Portishead and Beak's Jeff Barrow with Annika of Exploded View. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Josh Modell. Peace. Peace.